honestly have been thinking about what I wanted to talk about this week and what I wanted to really convey to the masses um, who listen to this podcast. But I really, I couldn't come up with anything that would be sufficient to the times. I mean, obviously, we're still in a massive upheaval with the election. Um, I just witnessed the D.C. March last night where um, four of the Patriots were stabbed. One is in critical condition. Um, Basically, like a war scene that was marching through D.C. But that's not the point of what I want to talk about today. I really want to talk about my struggles. And I know this is episode three, so technically I should be on like a theme or have a certain agenda or topic, but I do my best when I am just, you know, free balling, (laughs) you know, just basically speaking whatever um, I'm hearing God say. And I think at this point, it's just important to have an honest dialogue about what it's like to be a Christian, what it's like to be a Christian who is a single mom, and what it's like to be a Christian in 2020. Like all of those things are relevant discussion topics. So the first one I want to tackle is what is it like to be a Christian? Because obviously I'm contemplating and thinking and always wondering. And people, I think from what I've noticed about the Christian kingdom or what we're seeing um, play out in this past year is that people have a really perverted view of what it is to be a Christian. I think they think that Christians don't struggle or Christians don't. They don't fall, that Christians don't sin, that Christians don't have hard times or fears or doubts or have financial issues. I don't know what they think, but clearly Christians are going to struggle because that's in the word. I mean, the word tells us that there will be many trials in this life. That's in the word. Christ, our savior, who is our head of our body, suffered immensely. The world hated him. The Bible says clearly, Christ says clearly, that don't be afraid when they hate you because they hated him first. They hated him. They killed him. They didn't receive him. They didn't listen to his words. Even his friends and family, you know, were against him, left him. You know, the only person that was at the cross with him was his mother, his Best friends, the disciples, all fled, all were afraid, all ran away. Even Peter denied him, right? So he suffered a betrayal that I don't even think we could imagine what he suffered. Because this was his people who he came to save. And even those people who he had walked with for three years of his ministry did not go with him until the end. And he warned them and told them that he was going to die. But when it happened... They ran. So, I don't know if we have the correct view of what it's like to be a Christian. I think many people have been basically overshadowed. They have overshadowed Jesus with the theology, this new doctrine, this new gospel that they're trying to preach in church. This watered-down version of what it's like to be a Christian. That many of us, when we get our first attack, we run. (laughs) The first moment it looks hard, we run. The first time it looks like we're going to have to suffer for the faith, we run. And because of that, 
we can't disciple anyone. Because if you are a Christian, you are tested and tried. There's no way that you are going to tell me that you have not suffered for the name of Jesus. And if you haven't suffered, then I don't think that you technically might be saved, to be very honest. Because once you decide that you're going to put Christ as the head of your life, and you really mean it, you have the power of the Holy Spirit at that point. You're saved, you've been baptized, and you have the Holy Spirit working within you. Demons are immediately on notice. Immediately. Could you imagine if you're in a battle and you see someone, well, let me put it like this, you've been fighting in a battle for a while, and there's a lot of pretenders, a lot of people who who, who are fake, who are, who are out there with toy guns, and they pretending to shoot, but they easy targets. You could just shoot them down. Boom, 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 boom. I mean, clearly. You got a fake gun. You got a Nerf gun on the battlefield. You're not ready. You're not. That's a lot of Christians. A lot of professing Christians. They they don't have the word. They're not filled with the Holy Spirit. They don't really know God, but they claim to be fighting. They're not armed for battle. They don't have the right weapon. They don't even have bullets in their weapon, you know, because if you don't have the word of God, you don't really have a weapon. You, you really not. You just you just out here. You're easy pickings, easy pickings for the enemy because you claim to know God and to be in a war that you're not ready or able to fight. So when the enemy who is really fighting because the enemy isn't playing, the enemy isn't pretending he isn't giving out false hope. He, he really has an agenda and his agenda really has people who are working for him. And they really are armed and ready to fight. They're fighting, not ready to fight. They're fighting. But you have a whole, you have a a a, a, a big portion of the church or professing Christians who they're not equipped for battle. So the first moment that they get attacked, and the enemy gonna attack them because he is. The first moment they get attacked, they is they out. They out. They gone. They don't believe. They ran away. They no longer trust God. And what's sad is that they actually start working for the enemy. And they start telling other people, hey, that God you believe in, he ain't real. So that whole segment of Christianity, or I want to say the profession Christians, let me not say Christianity, the ones who profess Christ, but don't really know him, they're not ready to go to war. They're not ready to go to war. And they don't even know that they have to go to war. The moment that you become saved, you have a target on your back. The moment that you become filled with the Holy Spirit, demons know it. They know it. They can tell. That's why the Bible says to, to check by your spirit, to check their spirit by your spirit. Because demons clearly know who the enemy is, right? They, they know. They know who's not on their side. The ones on their side, they're not worried about. The ones who really for Christ, who really out here working for the kingdom, you're going to be underneath such an attack. Such an attack. Because you have to go. You have to go. You really have power. You really can change somebody's life. You really can disciple somebody to Christ. You really can preach the gospel. So you have to be cut down immediately. The, the enemy is going to come gunning for you. What did Jesus tell Peter? And I, I felt this in my spirit all week. Jesus told Peter that the enemy desires to sift you like wheat. He desires to sift you. He, he, he's, he wants you, Peter. But Jesus tells him, but I pray for you. So thank God that he prays for us, that he's our great intercessor. Because in those moments when you're really fighting, 
your flesh is weak. That's what the Bible says, that your flesh is weak. But the spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. You are weak. What holds you is weak. What you walk in, the sack that you that you have is against God. The Bible says that our mind is against God. It's against the truth. You don't even want to know it. You're in a battle within yourself. Not only are you fighting a battle in the world, you're fighting a battle within you. There's two battles raging on in a Christian. The battle in the world where the enemy has sent his goons to come take you out. And the battle in your mind where your actual person, the, your, your, your body is against what is of God. Does not want to receive the gospel. Does not want to believe the truth. Does not want to have faith. Wants to trust in its own devices. Is selfish. Is evil. Is corrupt. That's true. That's true. Even Paul says that the things that he want to do, the good that he wants to do, he don't do. But the evil that he don't want to do, he does. That's Paul who wrote the majority of the New Testament is telling us that there is going to be a battle, not only because the world is going to be against you, but you are against you. Your own mind is against you. And that's why Jesus tells us that Christians must cast down every thought. We must take every thought captive and subject it to Christ. He also tells us that we must, we must, we must subject our flesh. You must crucify the flesh. The flesh must be crucified. You must have self-control. You must be able to, to, to have the, to use, not to use, but to walk in faith with the Holy Spirit to work out your salvation. It, it isn't like you become saved and then that's it. That's the beginning. <laughs> the be when you go and say that I'm for God, that's the begin. That's where it really starts to get interesting, right? Because at that point, like I said, the enemy sees you, the enemy sees you, and the world sees you. Because if you're standing up for Christ and you really have your light and your light is really lit, everyone sees you. <laughs> everyone sees you. you you're going to stand out in a dark room. If I have a flashlight, no matter how small it is, and there's a dark and we're in a dark room, the light is going to shine and it's going to knock out the darkness. That's what it says. That's what the Bible says. Literally, light and darkness don't mix. If I have a light and I turn the light on in a room with absolutely no light, there will be light. <laughs> okay? There will be light. So at that point, you become a target. You become a target. Everybody sees you. If you're really walking with them, everyone sees you. You don't know it, but people are always watching you. And as a Christian, we have to know that. We have to know that most of what we're doing is private in the sense that you have a personal relationship with Jesus. And that is paramount to having any real faith. Because if you don't really know him, then you can't serve him. Because it's too hard. It's too hard. It is too hard to serve Jesus in this fallen world if you don't know him. There is no way. You wouldn't last. Because you don't have the foundation. You're not, you're not standing on the rock. You don't, you don't really have the power to do it. Because the only way that you have the power is from the Holy Spirit. There is no other way. 
There is, you can't work it out on your own. Now, I'm saying you do have to work out your salvation, but that's through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not your own strength. It's, you can't do it in your own strength. And I think that's the part of Christianity that Christians don't really talk about is how hard it is. We don't, we always want to seem like we got it all together. We look so good. We come to church. We have the clothes on. We got the makeup on. Our kids look nice. You know, we know the word. We can quote scripture. But we don't want to tell people, man, last night, I, I really wanted to just down a bottle of wine. Like, I might have downed a bottle of wine. Like, just last night, before I got, before I came to church. I, I really might have struggled with um, looking at their porn website. Like, right before I came in here this morning, I was tempted to go to Pornhub or X videos and look at it. Or I just cursed my husband out. Maybe not out loud, but in my mind, I called him all the names that I could think of. My children really, really do get on my nerves. Like, they honestly, they do. They I really don't like them some days, and some days I do, but some days I don't. Especially when I've cleaned the house up and they came home and destroyed it in less than five minutes. And they don't say thank you when I have worked all day and cooked them dinner. Like, that's the real, that's, that's the real walk. That's the real walk of it. That's the real walk of it. If you're telling people that it's so easy, then nobody's going to want to follow you because it ain't easy. Because the moment that that person receives Jesus and is attacked by the enemy and all they've heard from other Christians is that, oh, you know, God is within me and I'm strong in the Lord. And, um, you know, and I, I love Jesus and, you know, I have become a new creature in Christ. Like if that's all you're saying and not also saying that this is a battle, that this is a fight, then, then you can't bring in out of the Christ because it's, it's the moment that they come to Christ and they get attacked and they didn't realize it was going to be hard. And you haven't been honest in the, in your experience of knowing Jesus then they, they're not going to stay in it. But, and, and then I don't, you know, I look, I say that, but I think about, I don't even know how Christians can say that it's not hard because as we read the word, it was very hard. Every person of faith that we read about, they struggled, not only physically, mentally, emotionally. I, I couldn't imagine, I couldn't imagine being Abraham and having to wait for that long, for Jesus to, to give him the son that God promised him. And then when you get the son, God says, sacrifice the son to me. Like that is a hard battle. We, we look at it and we read it, but we don't appreciate that these are real people. And I don't even know how Abraham was able to do it because he had to wait over 20 years just for the son. He was already old when God came to him and told him that he would have a son. And God repeatedly told him that he would have a people that were so numerous that you couldn't even count them. But he didn't even have a son. He didn't even have a child. Sarah had not bore him any children. They were old. Even at that point when God came and told them. So it's like the faith that he had to have. And then we, we gloss over the fact that even Abraham made many mistakes along the way. I mean, when he was traveling, he lied about who Sarah was. He didn't trust God enough to tell people that that was his wife. He only told them that that was his sister. It was his sister, but it was also his wife because he was afraid that they would kill him 
and steal his wife. He didn't trust God. He struggled. He failed. Matter of fact, he did this twice. And then not only that, we gloss over the part where he tried to get the promise without waiting on God. When they had a whole child that was outside of the promise with his wife's servant. We don't talk about that. But that was really what happened. We don't talk about the things that was the struggle along the way. We want to always just talk about the end. But God is more concerned with the process. And I heard pastors say that, and I never got it fully, but I get it now. It's the process. It's the walking it out every day. Even though you fall, it's, it's getting up the next day and saying, okay, Lord, I failed yesterday. I, I didn't do it. Lord, I need you to help me. Lord, this is hard. You know, you got to you gotta pull him into even the parts that you don't even want to deal with. There's stuff that you're going to walk out with Christ that you don't even want to identify. And you're going to have to tell him, God, I don't even know how I'm going to do this. Like this, I don't even know how I'm going to make it. I, it's hard for me to even think about how I'm going to push through. But I'm going to do it. I'm going to pray. I'm going to trust you. That's that's the part of Christianity that we need to talk about more. That even when it looks bad and it looks crazy and it, it you don't see how it's going to get to where God has said it's going to get to, that we have to just believe that he is who he says he is and he's going to do what he said he's going to do. We can't keep preaching this all is happy and God is going to supply every need and God is going to make a way. Yes, yes, he did give Abraham the promise. He did get the son. However, the journey, the journey, even with Noah, the journey, even with David, the journey. David got anointed to be king at a young age, even after his own family didn't think that he was even worthy. David got anointed to be king. But then he had to still go back and be a shepherd. He didn't just be, he didn't become king the next day. It wasn't like he was anointing and then God said, okay, David, now go ahead. Now go take out your rightful place as the king of Israel. He had to go back and be a shepherd again. He had some stuff that he still had to learn. Even after he killed Goliath, that he didn't become king. A matter of fact, he had to run from Saul because Saul wanted to kill him. So he had to be, now he's the king, the anointed king of Israel. Being chased by the current king of Israel, having to live in caves with no food, right? Depending completely upon God. Suffering, I would say. Suffering. But he's the king. But he's suffering. He's the king, but he don't have food. He's the king, but he got to go run and hide because the other king trying to kill him. And this went on for years. It wasn't like it was just like, okay... Five years later, boom, he became the king. No, years, years of waiting, years, years of struggling, years of having to fight, years upon years upon years. But God was with him. If you read the Psalms, David expresses multiple times about how his enemies were out to kill him. And he was like, God, you know, where you at? <laughs> you know, where you at, God? The Psalms are so comforting because it talks about David's journey to become King David. And then even after he became king, he still fell short of the glory. He still fell short of the glory. He had to struggle with his own flesh. 
Even David, David who danced out his clothes, David who was a friend of God, he still struggled with his flesh. He still killed a man. And some people, I don't know how you want to say it, but he had sex with the wife. I'm not sure the wife was willing. I mean, she could have been willing, but could she have said no to the king? Not really. So in today's standard, that's sexual harassment, what David did. I mean, like beyond sexual harassment, because he got her husband killed for the sole purpose of having sex with her because he was lusting after her. That's David. That's David. That's what David did. But we don't talk about that part. We just talk about King David. We just talk about that Jesus is descended from David. We don't talk about David. We don't talk about that there were prostitutes in the Bible that God used. We don't talk about that even in the lineage of Jesus that there was a prostitute. We don't talk about that. We don't talk about when women suffered. We don't talk about how difficult it was for a woman during that time. We don't talk about what challenges were faced. We don't really want to look at history in a whole context. We want to look at it from the 2020 lens. And I think we're doing a disservice. We're doing a disservice to people who want to know Christ because we're not accurately representing what it means to know Christ. Someone called me fake the other day, and I was kind of offended, but I didn't really understand why. He said I was I was a one person online, but another person in real life. And I was kind of shocked by it because I've been talking to this person for a minute, and I like the person, not, you know, in any type of sexual way or any type of way that matters, but really just like having conversations. And so I was like offended, but then I thought about it. This person doesn't understand what it means to be a Christian. They think that it's all it's all roses and it's all petals. And that I don't have days when I cry myself to sleep. Or I don't have days when I, I, I look at myself and I don't even know how God could have even how God could even love me. How God could even want to continue in this relationship with me when I have been such a, an adulterer in all through through the time. Because I I've I've fallen and I've gotten up and I thought I knew God and then I when God showed me some things, I was like, oh, God, no, no, let me run because it's hard. You know, it isn't like it's easy. I, I think that's the part that we, I, I'm, my whole point in this first part of this is that it, being a Christian is not easy. Being a Christian doesn't mean you're not going to have any problems. Being a Christian just means that you know God. And even though you have the problems, you um, you know that God is for you and he's not against you, that he promised that he would never forsake you. Being a Christian really is knowing your weakness. It's knowing how how far away from God you were. You were. It's from knowing that I was such a wretched individual and Christ died for me while I was yet a sinner. While I was against him, he died for me. There is no other love I could possibly ever know on this earth that would compare to the God of the universe coming down, dying on a cross for my sins, and then doing it so that he can have a relationship with me. So that he can talk to me and share himself with me and encourage me and strengthen me. That's insane to my mind. Even as I'm saying it, I'm, that is an insane concept. But that is what being a Christian means. And it means knowing that you, it's not about you. I think at the, the, the hardest thing I think for me to gather, you know, I think it's for any Christian or any person really, is that it's not about me. It's not about me. Even the things that I suffered, it's not about me. Even in the pain that I've experienced, it's not about me. Even in the good things that I have, that's not about me. I didn't get the good things because I'm good. 
it's only one good person in the whole world. It's only the only good comes from God. I didn't do it. I didn't earn it. I could have never earned it. It's it's not about me. Even me being saved is not about me. I have a work to do. Each of us has a work to do. Each of us have people whose lives that we're in, who we're supposed to influence for Christ. We're all supposed to be out here telling people that the kingdom of God is at hand. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Just like John the Baptist did. We're supposed to be screaming out to the world, Jesus is here. Your salvation is here. The good news of the gospel is that you can be saved. You don't have to go to hell. Even though you deserve it, thank God for his grace and his mercy. So that that's what we're supposed to be doing. It's not about us. Even the story of Abraham was not about him. The story of Moses was not about him. David was not about him. It, it was not about them. It was about God. At any moment that we got a little bit too high and mighty, those even those men of God realized that they were weak. And I think that's why Paul said what he said, because God gave him the thorn in his flesh to remind him that no matter how far you get in this, you're going to always need me. It doesn't matter how closer you come or how good you seem or how great you may look to the world. You need me. It's, it's by my strength that I have my being. Apart from Christ, I can do nothing. I have to be connected to the vine every day, all day. Because all throughout the day, I'm being challenged in my faith. My faith is being challenged, whether it's from somebody giving me the wrong order at McDonald's and having an attitude when I tell them that this is the wrong order. And then my natural inclination is to have an attitude back. That's me having to walk out my faith. I'm supposed to be a Christian. I need to represent God. Even when my children have really gotten on my absolute last nerve, and then I have to still love them with the love of Jesus because they are blessings to me then I have to treat them as children of God. That is a challenge. And, and I'm not going to say that I pass it every time. Matter of fact, the more I walk with Christ, the more I see how sinful I am, how much in need of him I am. The more I walk with him, the more I realize that it's, it's only because of him. So that is longer than I thought it was going to be. But that's the first thing. What does it really mean to be a Christian? The second thing is, what does it mean to be a Christian in a single mom? I've struggled with this for a long, long time because I, many of you may or may not know, I had my daughter at 16 years old. Um, I was very young when I had her. I had a very troubled past, a very challenging childhood. Um, that one day I'll talk about the testimony of that, but I had her really young. Um, and so I've been a single mom for 17 years, challenging, challenging, challenging experience. I, I don't really know how to put it in words, but I definitely want you to know that if you're listening to me and you have been through some things and you made some mistakes, I can identify with them. You know, it has, it has been very difficult. And even when I became saved, it was still difficult because in the church, no matter how much we want to look at Christians as beacons of light, they are humans. They are sinners saved by grace. So you will get some judgment for having children outside of wedlock. I mean, you can act like that's not happening, but that is very true. The church is kind of centered towards married people. 
especially at a smaller church, it's much more difficult being a single mom in a smaller church because most of the people in the church are probably married um, or they're single, single. So you kind of, it's like they have single, single, and then they have married. They don't really have single mom. So thank God I'm at a church now. One of the things that I do like about my church, even though I do have some criticisms, which you probably have heard already, is that they do have a single mom's ministry. It is difficult to be a single mom, but there's a lot of single moms. And it's something that the church doesn't really want to talk about or deal with in the sense of maybe they don't have the tools or they don't know anybody who has gone through it. Because I found that many times it's kind of looked at in a way that is, I don't know how to explain it, but it, it you can get so caught up in your marriage and your family and your children that you forget that there are people who need to be to who need to know Christ even in that situation. That there are people who are outside of what you perceive to be Christianity. And you have to be welcoming of those individuals as well. And the church sometimes struggles with this. And I'm not saying it in a way to say that this is true of all churches or this is true of all Christians, but it's definitely true from what I have seen because the hospitality part of Christianity is very important. It's very important to be hospitable. It's very important to to have an open arm or to welcome others in or to shower them. Well, I wouldn't say shower them, but to show Christ a love by being his hands and feet. 